0: Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Real Talk. It's Lucas here, and I hope that today's episode informs and inspires you to have your own real conversations. As always, today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at TriVan, maker of trucks, trailers, and enclosure buildings tailored to your needs. Be sure to check them out at TriVan.com. A huge thanks to them for sponsoring the show and making it possible. One other quick note before we get into today's episode is that if you are willing and able, if you could leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on any of the podcast networks or platforms that allow for it, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that will be much appreciated as it helps get the word out there and lets people know what we're all about. So with that in mind, on to the episode.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Real Talk Roundup number four. This is episode 69 of the Real Talk podcast, so that's exciting. We're slowly climbing our way up in the episode numbers and uh, moving moving closer to 75, so that's lots of fun. Today, uh, we are joined by two new guests, actually. So we have Reverend uh, Jim Witteveen with us and also Bruce DeBoer. So Pastor Jim, as he is known around these parts, I suppose, just uh, recently joined the RP Board, Reform Perspective Board. So that's uh, very exciting for those of us who are on the board, and also for those of us who aren't, because uh, he'll bring, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, skill and wisdom to the board and help us move RP in a good direction forward. Uh, so we're excited to have him on uh, on the board and also on today's show to give us some feedback on some episodes and talk about his article that he wrote for RP on reconciliation later on in the show. And then, of course, we are joined by Bruce DeBoer and he is the chairman of uh, RP. So under his leadership, uh, yeah, we got this ship turned around between him and Mark and the rest of the crew. And it's it's heading in a great direction. So welcome to you both to the program. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks guys. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm excited. Uh, Not that we don't like John. John is uh, dearly missed, but uh, it's also nice to have fresh faces around here too. So we'll see you next time, John. Don't worry um moving on though so today we're going to cover three episodes our last three of course so the first one of those being covid and our mental health uh i was interviewed i did with dr mark kelderman followed by uh tyler's episode with dr Dam on preaching you know, what that means to preach a sermon how to make a sermon and all that kind of stuff and then finally episode 68 which was about ibf and embryo adoption with justina Van Vanden. And then at the end, we'll go to Bruce for uh, an update on all things RP. But for now, we'll jump into talking about COVID and our mental health. So I figured we'll start this with uh, Jim, you you would listen to that one. So do you want to give us some of your thoughts initially on what you learned from that episode or what you found interesting, anything like that?
2: Yeah. Thanks. I uh, I really, first of all, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was uh, it, the the conversation was uh, was an important one, and it's it's not a perspective that's uh, that's widely heard. And I think uh, I think what what was said and, and the the explanations of of mental health in general uh, was important stuff. Uh, you you touched on COVID. But it wasn't really, <laughs> it ended up really not going in that direction, I think. Uh, it. You know, there were certain things about the whole, uh, you know, COVID experience and, and mental health, but I think it was much broader than that. And, uh, you know, the importance of, the one thing that really struck me was the importance of the, the human being, us, our, our, our human nature as a, as a united entity. It's not, you know, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental all of these things. And, and the distinction that, that uh, you know, a biblical worldview has with kind of the scientistic worldview about that we're just a, you know, we're just a collection of uh, of chemicals and and basically any problem that we have can be treated with uh, a chemical solution as well. I, I found that very important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You definitely give a very uh, wholesome, uh, yeah, both worldview and also just in terms of the human body and, what's all going on approach to, to mental health, which that was definitely one of my large takeaways as well. Uh, Bruce, man, we'll go to you for some of your thoughts on that. episode. what stood out to you?
3: Yeah, well, it was interesting. Um, I love it. I love when an interviewer or a person being interviewed starts interviewing the interviewer. Um, <laughs> I found he asked you a lot of questions or he would lead you up and then say, and this is, and then you get the answer. So it reminded me of my days when I was under some counseling for a period of time. And I thought he did a good job of explaining mental health. Um, Mental health has been a big uh, thing on my, my plate. I'm an office bearer. And the big thing is, is how does an office bear walk alongside somebody that's um, dealing with mental health? And I thought he did a really good job explaining mental health. And I really liked his approach on soul care. Because um, that's definitely you know the the aspects we could all follow, in. and the, the the part I really enjoyed on the soul care too is how he just says you know show show them the love of of Jesus Christ uh, and how how he cares for his people, and not to put yourself in a box. Uh, mental health tends to put people in boxes, and people hide in that box. And I think um, sometimes in there our churches have made the mistake of, oh, they're seeking professional help. Um, There's nothing we can do. And it's something I've been really promoting um, lately is walking alongside those in any circumstance, whether it's mental health or in society in general, Um, because if we stop walking alongside and leave it to the professionals, um, we're gonna get some worldliness in there. Um, Biblical counseling can only go so far. People need people to talk to, and the church also has to be actively involved. Now, some of that um, stems, too, with the the care. I I was hoping to hear a little bit on how he counsels the people that are coming to him as far as opening up to their elders, as far as um, how much um, to divulge to um, the people around them. I would have enjoyed that a little bit more just to try to get a grasp of it because I've requested it from my members to just, you know, allow me to speak to your counselor once in a while just so that I know how to help you best. Right. But uh, I did appreciate as well to the relationship first, you know, that we don't come in hammering people with the Bible, but we we build a relationship so that we can provide counseling with, you know, a biblical perspective. And then the other thing that um, really came out real for me was that trauma is real um, and, to, and to separate the two because um, anxiety is a really interesting term, but trauma is just a whole nother level, right? Um, people dealing with the massive circumstances. So when, uh, if I separate the two and you know, the topic was COVID, um, there's a lot of anxiety related around it um i've grouped it into three categories i diagnosed self-diagnosed and should be diagnosed uh, so um and not to make light of it it's just i find um we're not having the real conversation and i thought he opened this up for that real conversation mm-hmm.
1: definitely it was uh yeah related to that my i think my large takeaway from it is Yes, there's a place for professional care, especially when you're talking about in the context of an elder in a church. But if we don't step in to provide, uh, like I say, we as the church, if we don't step in to provide that soul care that's so needed, you're not going to get anywhere whatsoever. And uh, yeah, is that uh, just to follow up on what you said there at the end there, Bruce, have you seen a real influx? Because I, I, I think I approached this episode um, using COVID as kind of like an entry point to the discussion on mental health. Have you seen a real uh, increase, or even just now that we're probably whatever a year or so out from really COVID sort of quote unquote ending? Um, what has the response been like from people in your local church community in terms of dealing with the effects of long COVID? Not in the sense of really the physical long COVID, although I'm sure that's a problem for certain people, but more like the mental effects of, of long COVID, if you will.
3: I'd say 12, 15 years ago, I started hearing about mental health. Um, And I'd say that's, I I probably could name two or three people in my congregation 12 years ago. And now I can name five in my own ward that are dealing with anxiety or self-diagnosed anxiety. Um, So it's become, I don't know whether it's just a a cultural shift um, where people express how they feel. And that's the box I'm in. So please let me be in my box, you know, create some space around them. Um, so it's hard to put my finger on it. I'd, I'd be interested what Jim had to say on that. Um, are people trying to protect themselves from a, a deeper issue? Are, um, you know, when people put themselves in boxes, they're not allowed to be touched, it seems. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I, th- I think that's a very real issue. Um, if, if, for example you know, just, just as an example, if somebody somebody uh, tells their their elder, for example, that they suffer from severe anxiety and that's why they can't come to church um, then what can the elder say if the person's not not faithfully attending the worship services? well can, can he say, well, you, that's something that you need to deal with or that's that's you know you can be using that as an excuse or, yeah, there is this t- definite tendency, and I've been—I I, we've seen it also uh, in our position as as uh, foster parents and involved in the system—to go for a uh, a diagnosis and to put—and you put it very well—to put somebody in a box, and that's how you end up being defined. I am a person with this, whatever whatever it might be, and that's who I am. Rather than saying, "Well, this is this is a struggle that I'm having right now," but it doesn't define who I am. So there's there we're we're, we're basically being defined and put into these uh, into these boxes, as you said, uh, which which is not a good thing because that's how you end up defining yourself. And and we'll talk about my the article that I wrote for uh reform perspective as well later bit later on. But that's a little bit what I talk about in terms of you know defining yourself as a victim. If you define yourself as a victim, you see yourself as a victim and you know there's nothing that you can do to get out of that. But or if you define yourself as somebody who has this disorder rather than, you know, you're a human being and you have struggles and you have uh you know, various issues in your life. And and that's what you're dealing with. So I think, yeah, it's uh, in so many ways, it's, it does impact, you know, just to, to get back to that, uh, the relationship between the office bearers of the church and, and members of the church, it does have an impact on that. And that's something that we really need to to reckon with as, as churches.
1: Uh, Ty, did you have any experience with that? I know when you were uh, a deacon back in in Hamilton there, was that something
4: that came up in your work in deaconry at all, or no? Yeah, we actually studied a book um, as a council um, in my time there um, about abuse. Um, Actually, it wasn't a book, I think it was a study that was put together, a series of videos. We had a big discussion about it, Um, just how to tackle that as a council, like um, as leaders in the church, and how to create. A culture, or or even a structure of of people to help deal with um, some of these people that have experienced that trauma, and that it it lead that whole discussion led into like it's not just trauma, but also mental health, and um, we also struggled with that at that time. Around that time, we were talking about like how do we deal with as as office bearers, our um, elders, supposed to send somebody to counseling because you know, maybe they're not professionally equipped, uh, to deal with an issue. Um, and then, and then that led into the deaconry, like, can we support people who seek out that professional help, but aren't willing to talk to their elder? Like they may need the financial support to go see a counselor to deal with something. It, it is a, it's a very difficult issue. Like it's hard to, um, it's hard to separate the two. Like Kelderman was saying, like it we need a more holistic approach to like what, like, yeah, that soul care that you're not just a mind. You're not just a body. You're, you're everything. And you're, you're also a soul. So as a, as an elder, it's, yeah, it's difficult to approach. And and I mean, there was lots of disagreement about, you know, um, some said let's let's let people seek the care that they need because they need it. Um, whether it's self-diagnosed or, or other, like, um, and some said, well, no, like if, if they're not willing to come to us and, and really like open up, like, then we're not, we're kind of just pushing the responsibility for their soul off on a counselor who has no, there's no, you know, directive from God really to make sure this person's soul is, is on track. Like, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing. I like that he, uh yeah. He talked about that box, like not putting yourself in that box or being put in that box because it often, um, or can contribute to like using it as an excuse for, for your behavior and other things. Like, um, maybe you're just like, yeah, not listening to your, not obeying your parents properly. And, and you can, you can attribute a lot of this to your mental health, which is, yeah, can be dangerous. And then, you know, as leadership in the church, we have to be really cognizant of that, but there, there's probably opportunity to better, maybe not address it at that, when it gets to that point, but also like create a culture where we, where we are those counselors in the church, like where, where we really encourage people to open up to their elders. And I mean, there's obviously trauma and situations that prevent that, but it's, uh, yeah, something that we can definitely work at. Mm-hmm. Even having uh,
1: resources available, I know like this is an option uh, in my church, uh, Living Water in Brantford, where there are uh, like they give you recommendations for biblical counselors or even just Christian counselors in general in your area. So I know that's that's helpful uh, to have as an option. Um, I think that's somewhat the case at least across uh, a lot of Reformed churches, but I don't know. Bruce, is that do you guys have something similar uh, over in Denville?
3: Yeah, no, we we pay for the first five. Um, counseling sessions through CCC or Elisha House. So I I just think it's, at the end of the day, if somebody wants help, I think we have to help them regardless. Um, the mind is an interesting state um, to be in, um, but I, I I really want to emphasize that soul care. I think that's our, our biggest responsibility. Um, I thought it was interesting too, one of his last comments too, about the thorn in the side, living with the thorn. Right, as opposed to to making it your issue, and then mm-hmm. I, I another just a quick last question on it, too, is the culture we're in does it does it allow for more of these things because of the affluence we're in? You know, we're not <laughs> think think about those that went through the world wars. Think about um those who lived through the depressions. um they didn't have time to talk anxiety. they didn't have time to now, they're dealing with anxiety issues, right? They're dealing with post-traumatic stress. They're dealing with severe trauma. They're dealing with all these things. Um, So I think if society allows the discussion, I think we should force the discussion, right?
1: Yeah. We just got to be careful not to adopt terms that, you know, just put people in the box like we've been talking about and and not give them an option out. Uh,
4: Any, any final thoughts before we move on to the next episode? guys? I I liked on, uh, just just briefly how he talked about at the beginning we talked about covid he talked about the science i hadn't really thought of this but i mean obviously we don't like that we were skeptical of the term trust science you know because everyone's you know trust the science but he made a good point that science is really the the study of a fallen world by fallen people so you know it's like it's got two levels of error in it so how much you know, and then not to mention the, yeah, the fallen person's worldview. So it's, it's a really hard, I hadn't really considered that specifically on those terms, but um, the study of God's word is a lot more direct revelation of like what we should be believing. So I thought that that related to COVID, but it relates to everything. Definitely. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah,
1: you would get into a little bit too with uh, the book that you've written there, Pastor Jim, but we'll save that discussion for another day, maybe. Okay, uh, so moving on to the second episode that we're going to recap a little bit and talk about. So this was episode 67 with Dr. Van Dam on preaching done by Tyler. And I think I'll flip it over to you first, Bruce, for some of your thoughts on uh, on this episode.
3: Well, the three episodes, this one was so refreshing. Uh it, it almost left me in tears, really. I was driving down the driving down the highway. I had an hour and a half drive to my location, and it was just so refreshing to hear um, something that's been tried, tested, and true, you know, preach the whole gospel of God, Old Testament, New Testament. And the way he tackled everything with just such grace and truth, he says, if you cannot leave the pulpit without, without saying, thus says the Lord of God, Right. I think that summed it up beautifully. Any of the issues Tyler could possibly throw at him. Um, he says, Thus says the Lord God. Can you say that as a as a minister off the pulpit? You know, so when it came to storytelling off the pulpit, when it came to, you know, addressing certain things off the pulpit, well, can you get it out of the text? Can you say, thus says the Lord God? And I, I just found handled it beautifully. Um I was surprised to hear that we, that they preached to a 13-year-old level. Um, my previous pastor told me it was grade uh, 11, 12, so maybe I've dumbed myself down a little bit since then. <laughs> but uh, hey, we'll take it. Uh, at the end of the day, preaching needs to be understandable, and I thought that was uh, very relevant too. Not that you don't have a duty as parents to uh, review these things with your kids, um, to simplify a few things. Um, the other part that really struck home for me is um, we're very quick to criticize um, stuff that goes on in the Canadian Reformed Church, the URCs, the FRCs, and just certain things. And I thought he handled it very well. He he focused on the positives, the beauty of singing the hymns and the Psalms and why we sing the certain ones. The beauty of being able to have the privilege to preach God's word, the privilege of going to serve the Lord. Um, and. He kept on coming over and over and over again. And I'm sure Jim Jim's listened to him speak a number of times while he was teaching him. And you could just see him pointing at you, you know I'm saying? This is how it is. And, uh, yeah, so I must say, very refreshing. Um, yeah, on the whole, I was very edified by the, by the podcast. And it was just good just to hear old time. Here's how it is preaching. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. He had, uh, he had the heart like nailed down. And I found the same thing. Ty would throw a question at him and then he would kind of give an answer. But it would come back to, it's got to be the gospel. It's got to be, that says the Lord. And it does really answer a lot of the questions. Another uh, takeaway I had from it too was it was nice to hear him talk about, um, you should be able to summarize it in like two to three sentences. So that's kind of, you know, if if you come away from a sermon, uh, sermon rather, sorry. And you can't explain it in two, three sentences like that. It probably wasn't the world's best sermon. So I thought that was a a nice way to, uh, to look at preaching and to, yeah. Like, don't get, don't make it too complicated. Like Yes. Explain the text. Yes. Give a deep explanation. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a core, you know, nugget to pull out of it. And I thought, uh, he did a good job bringing that home again and again. Um, yeah. Well, I know Ty, what did you think when you were talking to him? It's, he's kind of a fountain of wisdom, man. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Well, aside from it being like three days after I, uh, you know, our daughter was born. um, So my brain was like foggy and my audio was terrible. And I forgot to record the intro, like click go on the recording. And I said, interesting, like 35 times or something. I don't even know. I didn't count. It was probably more than that. I thought it was very interesting. If, uh, (laughs) if no one picked up on that, Uh, Lucas is a great critic that way. So. It's like, you said interesting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> sure. no, I found like just the, just to hear him explain like why we do things the way we do. And, and I think the Canadian reform might get a bad rep for like being very structured with the sermon, like, you know, a, a theme in three points and, and the way we do our liturgy is very like, it's always the same. We don't like, there's not a lot of variance um, as opposed to some other denominations where even the individual congregations have a little bit of variance in that, that kind of thing. Um, it's, it was refreshing to hear him explain why, you know, the preaching aspect is the way it is like, and yeah, like basically, why do you have a three theme and three points is because what you just said, because it's like, you gotta be able to summarize it in, in three, four sentences. And, and you have a theme and three points to go back to with your kids after the sermon. Like that's the, like that's the idea. It's like, how do you, you got to make it uh, edifying. You got to make it understandable. So um, yeah, I thought it, it was, it was good. It was good to talk about like, you know, the approach to different texts. Like if you're preaching the new Testament versus the old Testament, um, walking through an old Testament passage and, you know, he described not just like retelling the story, but um, picking out like a key verse that like, you know, exemplifies the point of the whole, the whole passage. So, yeah, there was just stuff like that. It was, it was just good to hear. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like, as a, as a mark of the true church, like, um, yeah, it's a double edged sword. It, it's, it is why we, it's why we go to church. And he said, uh, you need the preaching otherwise, well, what did he say? Mm-hmm. Otherwise it, it's, you just have a church with, uh, lots of nice sing sing. <laughs> which is it's funny but it's also it's telling it was like yeah we talk about that we've talked about this on the podcast a lot like what we sing in church what we like how we do things and and it really is like without the preaching uh being the way it should be you you just have lots of nice sing sing and everybody (laughs) you know everybody's just there for a good time or to get see everybody but yeah so yeah Yeah. i think it was it was good just yeah he's a a wealth of knowledge it's it's uh it was it was good to just talk to him and and let him like the more i let him talk the more you know gold there was so yeah the better it got yeah go ahead bruce
2: (laughs) well it's it's interesting that you say that the, the the more gold you got because i i uh uh, obviously Dr van Dam was my teacher at seminary for four years and uh and we would often come out of the class and say and say that was gold yeah <laughs> so that, that, that's it's interesting that you use that expression but I think it's I think it's so important that um you know when we think about these things like the liturgy and the preaching and and why we worship and how the preaching is structured that we understand why it is that we're doing things the way that we do them And I, You know, I I always emphasize that, that we need to be deliberate in the things that we do, because if we don't understand why we're doing it that way, then it becomes very easy to say, well, we no longer need to do it that way because we don't really have a reason for it. So it's just a matter of preference. But oftentimes it's not just a matter of preference. It's Mm -hmm. a matter of, you know, time tested, uh, you know, generation after generation, proven yeah, structure and uh, a means of, of bringing the message and of, of gathering, you know, just how we gather to worship God, doing that deliberately and, and understanding the reasons behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's, it's definitely important too. I would say, on both sides of the fence. Like if, if you're looking to defend, you know, the typical traditions of your church, you, you should know why they are in place of why the structures are there. And why we've been doing it like this for so long. But also on the flip side of that, like if you're if you're someone who's looking to uh, input a bit of change into your church in how you do certain parts of the service or, or the liturgy, you should also do your research and know. Okay, well, why have we done it this way? Is it is it fair or is it a good decision to to make a small change here or there or whatnot? So I would just put out the call to yeah all those who are looking to either defend the current traditions or or to make some changes, just to uh, do your research and. And to learn from the past and, and why we've done the things we, we do, Bruce, did you have any final thoughts on on this episode before we move on?
3: Yeah, just two um, the the one part that he hit well out of the park too is our comfort level when we're sitting in church. Should we feel comfortable when we sit in church and referenced it to a baseball game, not knowing the rules before he walked in the room um, there's I, I'm convinced that we shouldn't feel too too comfortable in church, I think a minister doing his job would would uh, put that little burner burn or saddle to, you know, do some true self-reflection, and I thought he handled that well, how he did that too. And then also on uh, sermon evaluations, how, you know, don't get a minister after he's fresh off the pulpit and go hammer him on a sermon evaluation, you know, saying, hey, you missed this, Rev, or you did this wrong but uh, how he did it again grace and truth you know what way today you know before you talk to him but also have a relationship with your minister outside of the evaluation that you that you love your minister ahead of time then you could tell him if there is some constructive criticism so i thought he did that well too basically how to do a constructive evaluation as office bearers but also as an individual walking out of church on a sunday
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good. I mean, they are human, eh, Jim? So uh, it's nice to uh, treat them like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, with that, we'll move on to the final episode we're covering here today, which was uh, on IVF and and embryo adoption. So I talked to Justina, and man on this one. This was definitely a topic I, I did not know a ton about before we decided to do this episode. So it was a lot of learning for me. Uh, both, both beforehand and, very, and then also very much within the episode itself. Um, yeah, Ty, I don't know if you had any more uh, experience in this uh, in this area or knowledge than me going in, but what did you
4: think uh, of this episode? Did you learn something, or uh, what did you think of embryo adoption going in? Maybe. Um, yeah, no, I didn't know much about emb- embryo adoption at all. Um, I I did know a little bit about IVF, or I've thought about it a little bit. Um, I had discussions with John uh, Dykstra when, when I did this episode with uh, my wife, actually like co-hosted that with me with Sarah Hutton. Um, We talked about her book on infertility. So that was um, one thing that she didn't really touch on. She touched upon like the infertility experience and, and, you know, biological children and stuff like that. Um, But IVF is uh, yeah. It's like, it's a really tough ethical quagmire. Basically it's hard to, really um yeah it's hard to argue and, and talk about it on a podcast i guess because it could be very polarizing i guess but the embryo adoption thing i i did not know that was really a thing um and i talked to a few people about it after listening to the episode um and it was yeah to me it was it was, it was interesting that you're kind of in a at a spot ethically where you shouldn't really be like there shouldn't really be such thing as frozen embryos. Like that just doesn't seem right to me. Um, it's just, but now that you're here now, what like, so in the, in the episode she described like what well, she, she had gone through this experience. And I thought like, it is a blessing on the one hand that you are able to adopt the embryo, um, and, and bring their life into the world because it's frozen, which is still boggles my mind. Um, but, on the other hand, re- should we really be here as a society where this is even a thing? So I don't really know what you do with that. I mean, it's yeah, it it is a really tough one. so i I know I, you could hear that what in the episode when you were you know asking your questions, it was like, yeah, it's hard to know what to do with it even in a, in a podcast, so um mm. yeah, I don't yeah i I don't know, I can't really comment on if I agree with it or not. I, I really have to like really think about it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I thought it was an interesting way to, uh, get that. Yeah. The adoption process, which is difficult and apparently has all these roadblocks that she described, you know, kind of bypassing that. Although there's a portion of that, that you're, um, it seems that you're fulfilling an o- your own desire to have kids, um, and not necessarily like, um, yeah, doing it for the child right so if you're doing it for the child that's that's another thing um yeah it's it's it's, it's a really hard uh conversation for sure it, it definitely made me appreciate the uh yeah the challenge well of
1: infertility first of all but then also if you want to pursue an option like embryo adoption or even just classical adoption some of the moral uh that come with them like some of the decisions you have to make when you're filling out these forms you care which one you receive, Like, you know, list all the characteristics of the child and whatnot. Like that's, Mm. yeah. Okay. Are you going to be completely open-minded on that? Like, okay, you probably should be, that seems like what you should do, but then, okay. If, if you're the only person who does that in the system, because most people are being choosy, then are you going to get like kids that have serious issues? And then is that something you want to take on? And it is just an absolute like ethical disaster to kind of get into that. But but my takeaway, at least before I throw it over to you, Bruce, was I, I think like her main argument on taking uh, the procreative process outside of sex and outside of the body uh, as that being wrong, that did, did make some sense to me. But then it also, which I did raise there in, in the podcast, like to be play devil's advocate on that, you are still doing that when you proceed with an embryo adoption. So, if with that in mind, it kind of seems to me be somewhat equivalent if that if you were to go down the road of IVF and you do it ethically and you just implant one or two sort of thing and if they you know if it's successful awesome great you get you know one or two or three children whatever it is but then you could do the same thing with just an embryo adoption that's not your own biological child so to me at least in my mind they seem kind of equivalent if you were to go down either road it's just that yes okay you are Uh, rescuing a frozen embryo in the one case, which is, you know, probably a better thing to do than, but then, yeah, it's also not your own child. So I don't know. It's a very confusing subject. I can see why people are having a tough time uh, dealing with it ethically. And I do appreciate Justina coming on at least explaining it and getting the conversation going on. it. So Bruce, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, Sorry for that rambling mess audience there.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. um, Um, I, I I dropped the ball on this. This I, this slipped right off my radar. Like I learned so much in that episode, and my heart goes out to these people that are dealing with this. Honestly, it it has got to be such a wrestle, such a struggle, right? To to contemplate not contemplate the thought of how can we have children. Um, the Lord the Lord has put this thorn in their side. The Lord has challenged them to a point where they, they get they go down this road. And um, yeah, it just just tells me more and more that I got to reach out. Like we pray for people like this on Sunday. We pray for it in our personal devotions at home from time to time. And yet I've never walked alongside or somebody dealing with this that far because people going down this road, it's a tough road. And I could only, um, I watched a movie, a pro-life movie and this this whole thing of frozen embryos brought me back to the plant plant parenthood movies where it's okay, just do this, just do this, and these people are lost. They go down a rabbit hole so fast, not even realizing what they're doing. And yeah, my heart just kept on breaking even further. The further we got into the episode, my heart just kept breaking because I think she said frozen embryos. You know, if Tyler says one word so often. She said it very often. And I just couldn't, yeah, almost stomach the conversation to know that that was the case. Um, And then when she introduced the Snowflake Adoption Program, and I thought, you know, her her argument about not having intercourse. Well, you don't have intercourse when you adopt a child either, right? (laughs) So this is some of the moral dilemma I played in my mind, too. And the fact that they take it as serious as they do when they, it is like adopting a child. From a third world country or from a neighbor, you know, you have to have a safe place, safe home. Um, are you willing to deal with the cha- challenges of autism or whatever the child may may develop or have? Right, uh, a safe place. So I must say, my na- my naiveness also um, yeah, opened up my heart even stronger to those that um, can't conceive and that are 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 facing these realities. These these situations,
2: for sure. Have Have you had
1: any experience with this uh, in your pastoral work, uh, Jim?
2: I haven't had any personal experience pastorally with this this kind of exactly this kind of situation, but I was just thinking in terms of the the snowflake adoptions and and what was said earlier about you know should is this something that we should be doing well or th- is this something that should, that should even be happening? Well, no, it shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't have these. <laughs> You know, warehouses full of frozen embryos, or however they may be stored, it's uh, it's it's really an absurdity, and uh, it's completely wrong. But that being the case, it's that they're there, and I think you know if if people have the opportunity to do one of these adoptions, uh, I would say more power to them. It's not the fact is these embryos are not being produced. Or saved for the sake of infertile people, they're basically it's like they're leftovers, you know. Sure. So I mean, that, so it becomes you know it's they're the result of an unethical practice, and so if we have the I th- I, I think if we have the opportunity to uh, to save some of those lives or you know give give those children an opportunity, then uh, if people are are willing to do that, I'd say more power to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. agreed. Hmm. Tricky, eh?
4: any final thoughts before we, we move on to reconciliation? Yeah, just, I mean, just quickly. I mean, that just hearing that it makes me think like it does take some of the ethical questions out, like what you were talking about, Lucas, like it takes some of the ethical questions out of the adoption process, which I didn't even, under, I didn't even really re- realize that that was there. She described the, the adoption process. Like, are you willing to take on a, take a kid with down syndrome or with whatever, or like, are you okay with different races of, of kids? And you're like, you just, as a Christian, you want to check every box. Right. And then you you start thinking about it. You're like, well, there's for sure kids with down syndrome that are, are trying to be adopted. You know, are you willing to actually do that? Like what's the, you know, if it was like randomly selected out of a hat, you would, you would say yes. Would you, would you say yes? If it was like almost a guaranteed thing, it's a, it's a tough decision. So this embryo adoption takes a lot of that out of it. And you, you know, you, yeah, you get the, you get the child that you get, which is like, uh, yeah, it just, I think it makes that discussion a little easier. Um, and as long as, yeah, it's child centered, the, the adoption process. Um, yeah, I think it, yeah, it can be a blessing. It's just, yeah, it is, it is a really hard road for someone to travel down. Not, uh, yeah. Yeah. Can't make can't make light of that. It's just, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, it definitely made me appreciate uh, the people who have to struggle through this issue a lot more, uh, as, as you know, everyone's kind of noted here. So, uh, Okay, so we'll move on to reconciliation. So Jim had an article in the latest version of Foreign Perspective, which was all about reconciliation and Indigenous issues. So uh, do you want to outline uh, that article first, Jim? And then we'll kind of go around the board and discuss it a
2: little bit. Sure. Uh, yeah, in the article I, I wrote about what Basically, my my goal in writing the article was to explain what you know what is genuine reconciliation, because we hear we hear about truth and reconciliation. We have the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We have the Day of Truth and Reconciliation, and sadly, I I uh, I think the 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 whole truth and reconciliation movement lacks uh, two things: it lacks truth, and it lacks reconciliation. So uh the so if those two things are lacking, then it's not really uh, truth and reconciliation. And, and so we need to consider what what is really reconciliation and and what is the truth. So we need to we need to know our know our our facts. We need to know what's gone on in the past. We need to we need to understand history, uh, we need to deal with it realistically and uh, openly seeing all sides of the issue and seeking to understand all sides of the issue. Uh, So that's the truth part. And then the reconciliation part, what I argue in the article is that reconciliation, genuine reconciliation, is not something that is possible to be implemented uh, in a, a hierarchical way. It can't be something that can be imposed from the top down. So in other words, it's not something that the government can mandate. Uh, neither do I think it's it's something that the government should mandate uh you know and, and we could have a discussion <laughs> that would be a discussion of ours, but about what the government's real role is. but you know my argument is that that genuine reconciliation, if there's going to be reconciliation that needs to happen needs to happen on a personal level. it needs to happen on a horizontal level uh individually. And the problem with government mandated, <laughs> anything pretty much is that it takes that that part out of it uh, and it makes it something that can be uh, implemented or something that can be done from the top down where and, and and thus it removes the actual personal responsibility or or neglects the personal responsibility that we have as individuals, as local communities, uh, as churches. Uh, and, uh, and, and what our responsibility is in regard to our neighbor. So I think that's really, really the, the point to what I wrote. And, uh, and I think it's a, I think it's an important point. It's a point that we, as we, as Christians need to need to think about, and we need to really understand what that, you know, what reconciliation really is.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. What would you say, like, and I agree with you just for the record in terms of the reconciliation needs to happen on a local, personal level, I think that, I mean, that's true for for many different things as well, not just reconciliation, but what would you say to someone who, if they were to critique that article and they were like, well, okay, so yeah, you're a conservative guy, you don't believe in government involvement anyways, but the, it's the government who started this whole problem to begin with, so shouldn't they be the ones who start like trying to make the reconciliation happen, and they view it less so as a mandate from you know, top down and more so as starting the conversation and starting the healing process. Like, have you heard that critique before? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I have heard that before, you know, it's, it's the government that did this. Therefore it's the government that needs to needs to respond to it. And and I remember um I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, but when Stephen Harper Uh, made the, uh, the prime minister made the official uh, apology for residential schools. And, and I was part of meetings in, uh, in Northern BC at that time that, that dealt with these things. There's, there's an idea, which, which I think is a, is an erroneous one of the, the, the continuity or or it's, it's almost a kind of covenantal thinking uh, where you know subsequent mm-hmm. generations or subsequent iterations of the state become responsible for the sins or errors of things that happened 200 years ago as if there exists a direct line of continuity between what happened in the 19th century or the 18th century or even earlier and the the 21st century iteration of the state and I think we need to ask questions about that. Is does that continuity really exist? And is, you know, what we need to think about? Well, what is the government? Well, the government is made up of representatives of us as as the citizens of the nation. So that's in our in our system, there are our representatives that we we elect and we send them to uh, send. In, in the case of the federal government, we send them to Ottawa. So there there are representatives. So what they do, they do on our behalf. And so the question then must be asked, is the actions of previous generations of representatives of the people uh, is that something for which we can be held responsible, or which we should take responsibility for? And I would argue that no, this is they're, they're, that continuity in that way doesn't uh, uh, doesn't exist in that way.
4: Hmm. You kind of see that with everything in their culture now though. Like you see that with the, with, with race, you see it with like people try to draw that line all the time, like blaming you for the sins of your forefathers stuff. What do you think about, what do you think about like, because the residential schools were a government, um, uh, program basically. Um, it's funny that I, I find the government likes to, because they're representatives of the people, they like to some, sometimes identify as that. And sometimes they like to pretend that they don't, they're, you know, they're above the people. Uh-huh. And in this situation, they seem to have, have made a decision and, you know, a government in the past, but now the government today, like Trudeau and his government are, are basically telling the citizens of Canada to apologize. And creating like we have a day of truth and reconciliation like that's meant for the citizenry to reflect on what we've done like what yeah what do you think about that like is it is it fair for them to then like point this issue back to us like I think there's a lot of people who you know who have found reconciliation with their local um you know indigenous people like especially out here at west like there's a lot of a lot of people who you know get along we do business together like there's no animosity in a lot of cases so like what what are we supposed to make of that
2: yeah well and i I think i think in part that's that's deliberate that what's being done is is deliberately being done according to the tenets of identity politics Mm. where where people are are being divided and pitted against each other um for political reasons and so so where naturally you know, reconciliation could happen. What ends up happening is there, there ends up, what what ends up being developed is a a sense of, yeah. Uh, how can I put it? A sense of uh, grievance, you know, one side is a grievance against another side, then their side is pushed. Then the other side begins to develop a grievance against that side and saying, look at all this stuff that you're getting now. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So, True reconciliation. It, it actually the opposite of true reconciliation is what happens. Um, so yeah, I think John Dykstra in 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 that issue also wrote uh, a very uh, a very good piece about it. Was was John that wrote that piece right about? Uh, yeah, I don't, ha- I don't have the issue in front of me about. Yeah, John wrote one. Mark Mark wrote one as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, about. Uh, what the government was doing in the first place in forcing people to uh to get an education, right? Mm. So it's just, uh, uh so yeah, you see what happens when the state puts itself in a place where it where it probably shouldn't be in the first place. Uh, and then of course the church gets uh you know co-opted in, in that in that effort. And so the you know the whether it's the Roman Catholic, the Anglican, the United Church at that time, you know, getting getting co-opted as a as a tool of the state in accomplishing the goals of the state. yeah, obviously, uh, you know, the the results were mixed to say you know, to say the least. You can't say that the results were 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 100 percent negative, which is basically kind of the idea that's being being pushed now. Uh, because they they weren't they weren't universally negative. There's uh, there's people like uh, like Thompson Highway, for example, who speak very positively about their experience at uh, residential schools. Uh, another, you know, people that I've had personal contact with uh, in my own experience. Uh, you know, one one man in particular who taught who was who was my uh, my language teacher in Prince George in northern BC. Uh, he was uh, he was also uh, uh, educated in a residential school. And what he told me in personal conversation was that he never experienced anything negative. He quite enjoyed his time at the residential school, but it's almost become, you know, you can't say that
1: anymore. Mm. That's very true. That's like just being the younger person on this panel. And uh, I think it was Oh nine when Harper did this apology in the first place. Like that's, that's all I've heard about the residential schools. And that was just my assumption. Like, I didn't even really think to bother to challenge that too much. I'm like, oh, I'm sure a couple of people had a nice time. But on the whole, it was, it was terrible. But which there was a, a lot of terrible experiences to be sure. But I think it was a lot more mixed than we're uh, being led to believe. Uh, but sorry, Bruce, we got to give you a chance to have a few thoughts here. Go ahead.
3: Oh, well, just on the Indian file, um, I find it interesting. Um, like I told Mark and I confessed to John Dykstra, the Indian file has been in the back of my mind for a long time, and I like to keep it there just simply because it's been going on so long. Um if I go back to my cowboy and Indian days, I think we won. Um, but it, it no, and I and I say it loosely, but it, it's more out of frustration. You know, you don't you don't seem to win. I I, I don't even see a winning solution in this whole process Uh, there's to me no amount of money there's no amount of conversation there's no amount of anything they put themselves in a box and they want to stay in the box there's no desire to their desire is to make the box even bigger and to throw us all in there and unless we all become natives um i don't think the problem will ever go
2: away if 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 i could just speak to that and i and i think i i think what you say i think in general uh is is on the right is in the right direction, but I don't think they put themselves in the box. I think what we what we see here is an entire industry that has grown up, uh, and some people call it the uh, the the First Nations Grievance Industry, and that industry has grown up and put an entire group into a box, uh, and is using that group for their own ends, and and you know there's a lot of talk about colonization and about the evils of colonization, and people are referred to as the colonizers. Well, I believe that what's happening today in 21st century Canada is a recolonization of the First Nations people. And there are so many people who are being used for, to, to, uh, for an agenda that goes far beyond them, which is not meant in the end to help them, but which is meant to really continue to uh, you know continue on with this uh, grievance industry which um, which is a multi-billion dollar industry mm-hmm. uh, you know when if the problems are solved people put themselves out of work
1: yeah a uh, lot of uh, lawyers
2: uh, ultimately, ultimately
1: yeah <laughs> yeah okay well we could probably do a whole other episode and we, we just might oh, that, actually yeah. on reconciliation down the road but uh we'll leave it there for now um i think i'll just flip it over to bruce for uh, a quick update on what's going on at rp or any fun things you like to share about uh life at rp
3: all right well thanks for the opportunity also thanks for the opportunity to be on this roundup and i don't know if it'll be my last time so i'll make the best of this time um, I you want to read read more about jim in the, our latest episode it's all on indigenous affairs um if you if you look at the magazine, the content, at the end of the day, we're looking to put a positive spin spiritually on all the issues that you, you come across. A lot of them are very, very difficult to deal with. And if you look at the tone that RP is trying to set, it's more of a positive spin. Where do we go? Um, we we try not to leave the Christian hanging in the air. We try to pro- provide positive solutions. And you'll also notice on some of the more sensitive issues where there is. Um, room for uh, Christian Freedoms that uh, we're trying to give a balanced approach in the magazine. A highlight for me, too, this year is we added a new kid section. Maybe that's because I've done myself down to a 13-year-old. But uh, I, really, <laughs> I really appreciate the new kid section that seems to be growing in the magazine. Uh, to see little kids playing a, a game called Buttons, all because they read an RP thing with their parents. I, I think it's just so cool just to get people reading. I'm picking up a magazine. Um, I really appreciate too, and I'm sure the readers have too, seeing Marty contributions, more of an interview style where he's digging deep down in some some deep, deep issues and just talking about relevant things. The app has really done well. If you don't have it, download it today. Um, it continues to grow, and it's also in its professionality with the constant updates there. On the app, we have daily devotionals. And then uh, a recently added section there is a section called Manna, which is daily food. And uh, that was a gift we got from the voice of the church. Um, They had daily uh, episodes every Sunday. So we took the 900 episodes and uh, we put them on there. So it's nice if you want, you've got 15 minutes in a little car drive. It's nice, once again, to be refreshed there. Um, the neat part, that I think the undervalued part is the, the book reviews and the movie sections. If 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 you're a parent like myself where you're very busy, um, sometimes your kids say, hey, Dad, can we watch this? Or we're going to go see this at a friend's house. Well, my new line is, does RV, RP approve it, right? <laughs> and uh, it seems to help. And uh, we just had an RP issue not too long ago with movie reviews. So if you haven't seen that one, look back in the history and you'll find it. Um yeah, an exciting development. I know we're 67 episodes in, but it is real talk. Um, people have asked me, Bruce, do you pick the topics? And I said, uh, absolutely not. I wouldn't take credit for that. But uh to me, to have um people listening for an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 15 minutes on a regular basis to real real conversations, um, mainly stemming from Tyler and Tyler, no, Tyler and Lucas. I always call Lucas Tyler when we have our board meetings. But anyway, I, the the topics that you guys have found relevant over the years, um, and you're just bringing them to the public floor, and now we could have conversations like we did today. You know, what, what does the preaching look like? What does vitro look like? What does, you know, mental health look like? These are real conversations, and when we see young people, Older people listening to the whole podcast, you know, and the the, the relationship continues to go up. You know, it's exciting to see that we're at episode 67. For me, it creates a good apologetics. Now I have a little bit more knowledge on these topics. Every time I listen to an episode, you know, um, I know my next sermon review is gonna be, you know what did the minister say did he preach the whole gospel you know thus says the lord you know these little comments you can pick up so since we're on the platform i also want to do a big shout out first from the board the staff and the donors and all the listeners a big thank you to you tyler and lucas and mariah for your hard work your dedication behind the scenes um it's tireless work um You're doing it every few weeks. There's a lot of time that goes on and a real commitment. And a big thank you. We're also thankful that Lucas could hold off on his baby for another day that we could record this episode. And then, Yeah, I'd just like to end too with thanking the listeners, the donors for allowing us to reach so many people in their sphere of media Um, because we're doing it in print. We're doing it in social media, Facebook, Instagram, Real Talk, uh, podcasts, um, devotionals movies you name it and we're also looking for more interaction from from the listener and from the reader so feel free to interact with any one of us um we're always looking for more content good content and i think if everybody busied themselves with getting organically involved in reform perspective reading the clarion reading christian renewal we would have no problems in this world. That's just my final sales pitch. Uh, I love the RP name. I love the RP brand. I love what we're trying to accomplish, but if there is anything that you think we could do to bring the kingdom work, um, even further, uh, and not, not for our own good, but for the glorification of God, please reach out to us and the team. Thank you.
1: Wonderful. Well, I can't say much better than that, but, uh, yeah, just for the sake of time and brevity, uh, yeah, on behalf of, I guess, myself and Ty, thank you for the kind words. We're happy to help. And uh, yeah, we're just excited to be a part of the RP team and, and the mission you described. And thankful for the opportunity we have to uh, do the show and to keep talking about important and interesting topics. So uh, yeah, no, uh, just so everyone knows what Bruce is talking about there. My wife is a week overdue currently as we're shooting this episode. And by the time you're listening to this on Monday should hopefully have the baby if not uh, (laughs) of the next day after that so uh you know i love you uh l and i hope you have the baby soon and uh we'll see how this ages so with that uh yeah i guess we'll let you guys go it's been a fun roundup thanks for joining us uh both bruce and and jim and ty as well and uh, we'll catch you next time on real talk
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfleur, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamaga. So, we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.